Hi, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Today is my conversation with Daniel Francesi. Uh, Daniel's uh, claim to fame or original claim to fame is that he played uh, Damien in the movie Mean Girls, but he came to my attention because he is a co-host of a podcast called Yes Jesus, which is a gay Christian podcast. And uh, I just, I'm fascinated by gay Christianity and I, I kind of feel like it's uh, it gives me hope for the future of Christianity, and I wanted to talk to him about um, being uh, directly involved in kind of public Christianity um, and also being being gay and being part of the the culture and the uh, group of people that is most stigmatized, one of the people most stigmatized um, by a lot of Christianity, um, and. Uh, Unsurprisingly, he turned out to be a fascinating, insightful person. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Please like and subscribe if you want more of this kind of content. Um, and here's my conversation with Daniel Franzesi. Danny Franzesi, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so obviously, uh, we don't know each other, but the reason that I reached out to you was that... Um, Sorry, I always do a little tiny talk first because we don't know each other. But um, I've I've kind of been. Uh, oh, there's some weird sound happening here yeah. on my end. I don't know. It's like a rumble. No, okay, it's gone now. Okay, <laughs> um, Danny Franzesi, welcome to the morning talk show. Um, Hi, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, yeah, it's morning here. It's afternoon there. Um, uh, I, I uh, reached out to you because I've just been really um, moved by uh, the Yes Jesus podcast. Um, I, uh, I I've in the last, last year have gone through like a, a a change in myself where I I just realized all of a sudden like uh, well first I thought I was becoming an atheist and I thought I wanted nothing more to do with church. And then uh, quick on the heels of that was like, oh, I, I, I'm affirming like I, you know, I, I, I just love gay people and and the energy and everything. And then I found, yes, Jesus. And it was like this joyful expression of Christianity that I wasn't used to. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I just basically wanted to reach out Um because uh, it, it was moving to me and, and it was wonderful. When I discovered Yes, Jesus, I didn't even know uh, that you were in Mean Girls. Like it was, it, <laughs> uh, it, it was like, oh, uh, that's it, interesting. I was just a fan of the podcast and then found out that after following you on Instagram and stuff that you were um, in Mean Girls, which I, which I rewatched. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super curious. Like uh, I, I was noticing Christianity becoming kind of, my experience of it to be very dour uh and, and i'm still i'm still kind of a dour christian but what what is your like how would you describe your kind of arc of of your faith or is that too too deep of a question right off the bat no i think i can simplify it i um you know uh my faith was always very important to me since i was uh born you know um um, my parents, uh, my grandparents are all from Italy, so they were all uh, Roman Catholic and coming here uh, um, after having my parents, my parents converted to Christianity. And so that was a very big deal in my Italian family. And they stopped speaking to my dad's parents for a while. And my dad's parents started speaking to them, I should say, because they converted. They found it, found it as like a betrayal to our culture. 
Wow. So my parents had like a really spiritual movement within them, but they felt very, uh, very much closer to God outside of the Catholic church and more in the Christian church. Yeah. And so when they named me, I didn't have a middle name. I still don't. Uh, my name is Daniel because it means God is my judge. So ever since I was young, I was always taught that God was the one that was going to judge me. And so that's something that's been instilled in me for my whole life. I went to Sunday school. I was in youth group and stuff like that. So when I started to come to my uh, uh, adolescence and I started to hit puberty and I started to realize that I was possibly gay, it was something that I repressed for so very long. Um, even though I went to school for musical theater and I experimented and I, you know, I had all these other kind of things, I still felt like the things that I was doing needed to be repressed. And now what I'm starting to understand is that quite possibly back then as we're learning more about how sexuality and um, is a spectrum um, that I probably was bi-romantic, but homosexual. So I was able to fall in love with a girl, but I wasn't able to be sexual with one. Ah. So that was what confused my sexuality so much because I was like, I really am in love with her, you ah. know? And so I seemed, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Maybe I had a demon. Maybe I have something in my head. Like maybe, I, you know, I, so yeah. to me, I had my own internal struggle. My family, um, we have a very large Italian family. My grandfather had 13 brothers and all of them had kids and they all moved on the same street in Brooklyn and their kids had kids. And it's just, I have a gigantic family. So we have a lot of gay people in my family just by the sheer numbers. Um, yeah. And they were accepted in my family. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, necessarily uh, celebrated, but you know, they all lived together. The couples would all live together in their house and everybody knew them as couples and it was unspoken about, but they were accepted, you know, maybe not celebrated, but accepted. So to me, it wasn't like a death sentence to be gay, but I think that I had my own inner turmoils and I put myself into conversion therapy. And so putting myself into conversion therapy is really where I started to get the church hurt and the toxicity of, the, of what that is. Um, it didn't come from my family, even though my family was devout Christian, there wasn't um, that pressure that I was receiving from outside sources. Huh. Uh, so... When I finally um, came to terms to realize what this was, because I didn't go in saying I'm going to go into an ex-gay camp. I said, I need a Christian therapist. But mm -hmm. it turned out, but, but with the topic of why am I having these feelings? So through my grandmother and a pastor and, you know, kind of playing telephone, I ended up into a, in a conversion therapy program. How old were you at this time? Uh, 22. Okay. Okay. So I think at this time, like, it was extremely... Uh, damaging to me because my mother was my ally my whole life you know if anyone ever said anything about me she defended me I remember you know now being a queer person when you look back on your youth you can see those moments where you maybe would have had a realization or other people could have realized that that's what your path was going to be um I remember one time every single guy had black skates in Brooklyn and every girl had white skates and I didn't make that distinction but I really wanted white skates with Care Bears on them like my friends had and my mom bought them for me and I remember someone saying like those are girl skates and that was the first time I was like they are and I looked and realized all the girls had white skates and all the boys had it never occurred to me and my mom was like they're skates like let them do whatever the hell he wants like that was her attitude always about me you know and I think I, I'm so grateful for that but going into conversion therapy um, and expressing a lot of this they informed me that my mother was the reason that I was having gay feelings because she was too open about stuff like that and sexuality and stuff and kind of pushed me 
to remove myself from my really main ally. And so they separated me from my mom, which is what they try to do. They, you know, it's really weird that uh, for a, a group of people who um, claim to follow the teachings of Jesus, when yeah. they, you know, they're constantly kicking their kids out for their sexuality or judging people or condemning them to hell or making judgments based off of rhetoric that has been um, rhetoric that's been sent to us over and over again uh, from a hierarchy of yeah basically tax-free real estate holders that have politicized queerness so much that they can't back up on it anymore. And, and, and what's so strange is that they will, you know, in terms of uh, parenting, uh, like when, when someone it wants to, you know, when someone wants to have an abortion or give up their child, they're, they're all, they, they feel like, oh, you got to keep your own child. You know, like it's supposed to be this, supposedly this family value thing where it, your, your child needs to be with their family and their family is always the most important. And then, but then in this case, as soon as it was some, one of their little, their bugaboos, homosexuality, they immediately undermined your family. Oh, it's true. I hope that all of their unborn fetuses that they save they give them the same right to life if they're end up being gay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 such a strange thing. I, I think yeah, you're you were in a, such a position to see the hypocrisy, uh, the absolute hypocrisy of what was going on there. Well, it took a lot of soul searching and a lot of difficulty for me. You know, uh, I I never fully let go of God because God is so ingrained in me. But I, there were times where I've strayed from God from leaving a godly lifestyle per se. And I don't think that I'm not talking about sin or anything like that, because it, it, I think that as much as sexuality has a spectrum, I think that spirituality does as well. And I feel like, you know, there are parts of my queerness that are culturally significant. Some, some, like some of my sexuality is cultural now. And it's due to the way that um, my, um, uh, elders in the queer community have been forced to live. You know, I mean, a lot of sex happened in dark corners and a lot of sex was pushed under the table and a lot of sex was about lust and connection because it couldn't be about love and establishing a life. And I think that there's a lot of that that lingers into uh, the gay culture now that I don't think should be condemned because I feel like it is a part of who we are as a culture. And I, and to me that, you know, I'm allowed to, to have my own sexuality. I'm allowed to have my own spirituality. I'm allowed to, I just want to let um, young children especially know. And when I say young children, I'm definitely talking about like teens and up, you know, uh, th that they should know that um, it's not a death sentence just to be who you are. Absolutely. That it, it's so important. And it's like, one of the things that I've noticed uh, with the queer people who've been on my podcast is that there is this, like what I'm hearing from you is this very nuanced um, take of, of where you really are and where you really were. Like there's a sort of, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost feels like there's an extra incentive for the kind of introspection and really like getting narrowing in on your motivations and, and and things from the past and things now because it was so stigmatized. I'm not saying it was good that it was stigmatized by any means, but for example, like I had uh, uh, an asexual person uh, on on the show and he was saying like his relationships are, are all platonic, but he had really thought about platonic relationships, you know, like he'd really gone deep, way deeper than any 
default heterosexual Christian that I've ever seen on what a, what a, that type of relationship would be. And like, even, even hearing you say that, um, that you, well, my were, friend Christine Sidelko is, um, uh, asexual and she always says, uh, my, my nipples only get hard for the wind. You know, she's never had a sexual thought or feeling, you know, yeah. and a lot of diehard Christians who, who, who believe that homosexuality is an abomination, um, because it says so in the Bible, but what's interesting is it was added into the Bible in 1946. <laughs> so that's interesting. You know, uh, the word homosexuality never appeared in the Bible. There wasn't even a name for that in biblical times, but that's another whole uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, um, if that's the claim, then they're claiming that Jesus was asexual, which means Jesus is LGBTQ plus and, you know, and um, part of protected under the LGBTQIA rainbow. And it's so, so sort of like, you know, you're attacking the very person who you worship in a way. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus ran with uh, sinners and thieves and, you know, and, and, and murderers and prostitutes. And, you know, that's who he was around. You know, he yeah. wasn't hanging in the church with, with the rabbis. All, you know, he was fighting with them, if anything. And so yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy. I think what's happening here are a few things. Um, one is I think people are trying to compare their sin to other people's sin because if they feel like as long as I'm not gay then I could do all these other things because that's like worse um and they're they're, they're lining gay up with crazy things like pedophilia and bestiality um yeah. you know uh and, and horrific thing and rape and and incest and they're putting it in these categories but then you know to make it okay for them to covet thy neighbor's wife but you know jesus never said nothing about gay people and there is nothing in the ten commandments about being queer and but there is about adultery about you know um about coveting people's wives about lying about stealing and all these other things yeah uh, a lot of the finger pointers uh, probably have partaken at some point so i feel like um there's a lot of hypocrisy there but also we're learning it's a spectrum. I saw a funny meme the other day that said 52% of women um, would kiss a, another woman. And um, they said 52% uh, of straight women would kiss another woman, which lets you know that 52% of straight women aren't straight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. You know, like, yeah, like when, you're really, when, you're, when you're really thinking about it, right? Yeah. So I think that we all live on this kind of spectrum. I mean, as, a, um, as an AIDS activist, which is a lot of uh, my work I do with Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, I've come to find out that, um, you know, there's tons of men who sleep with men, but won't identify in any way as homosexual because they don't, they're not homoromantic. So, right. so they are, uh, um, they are considered and labeled by the CDC uh, the Center for Disease Control as um, men who sleep with men, MSM. It's a completely other subcategory of men um, who actually are in highest risk of HIV, uh, but they are a completely other subcategory who don't want to receive the stigma that it takes to be gay, but, right. you know, want to tickle their pickle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that really, I find it really interesting. I, and I've often wondered, like the, the, what what would how would things settle down and balance out if we really did just remove the stigma from all types of romantic relationships and and sexual relationships where would it actually settle out we don't really know the numbers you know like we don't know there there's i mean for every for every gay right. and trans person there's there's almost certainly thousands of them and some of them are probably closer to the center of the spectrum so they're 
you know, able to kind of toe the line, even though they're Who's feeling. Who's to say? Way. I think that I think yeah. that again, spectruming and sort of trying to figure out where people lie and labeling people and everything is sort of like um, not considering the fluidity of it all. I think yeah. that there are people who are one thing one day and one thing another day. I think that um, uh, really, if you're centering things around love, um, you know, it's a pretty broad, open thing. Yeah. And if you center things around sexuality, it's another. I mean, look at how many um straight identifying males engage in homosexual sex when in jail or in an all-boys school or in like in the military or in places where they're confined and they don't have an opportunity to be around a female there are still yeah. sexual urges that can be fulfilled that necessarily aren't romantic ones and vice versa have you ever read that c.s lewis book where he talks about the whole system of uh like basically uh, i can't remember what they're called something like twinks or something in boys school that he went to it's in a cs lewis book i was shocked i was reading it and it's it's all about how there were like there were these like little effeminate boys who were owned by other boys and and like it, it, these things yeah you're right these things develop whenever there's a closed system yeah it's a it's it's so interesting to think about like the the labels really do become oppressive you know and uh like I, I think one of the reasons that I, I don't know, I, I, I just, I always wasn't quite manly enough. And I think that's one of the things that kept me open to, um, you know, to uh, eventually one day being affirming because I just am naturally not so full of testosterone. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I feel like I'm pretty straight, but it's interesting, it, you know, sometimes when, when I'm watching a Tom Hardy movie, I'm kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know, you know, if, but anyway, that's a whole other. <laughs> the feeling's probably mutual. Uh, yeah. You know, I think. Yeah, like, he likes me a lot, but <laughs> yeah. I, I avoid his text though. I like to be withholding. Anyway, go ahead. I think it's interesting. There's so, there's so many hangups. I mean, when you think how, how much when if people could just like open themselves up, like I think people are afraid that they're going to be attracted to it. I think that's the big thing because somebody who is straight identifying um, will most likely be attracted to gay sex because it's two people connecting sexually. Like I'm, I'm gay, but if I'm in a hotel room and there's a straight couple having sex next door, I might get aroused from the sounds that you hear, in the, right. you know, because it's just hot. Like, yeah. and I think that they think that that's somehow going to convert them or make them change, or maybe they have a sex dream or maybe they masturbate to it or something. And all of a sudden they see it as this like gateway to something. Yeah. Um, so they don't understand a person who is born only that way. They think, no, you heard it through a hotel room wall like me and got a little brick downstairs, you know, like, <laughs> I think that's what they're thinking, but really in actuality, um, they're just not, all human beings are going to connect to other human beings having sex. You know, um, it's like Loki, just like, I mean, I'm, I'm not into bestiality at all, at all. But sometimes when you see two lions going at it, you're like, damn, he's getting it, you know? Like, it's like, you know, it's just, it's yeah. human condition. It's animalistic, human yeah. mammal condition to like be aroused by sex. So I think that that's like a big problem that um, a lot of these people have, they're hung up on it. Well, it, it's, I think that the, that male and female, uh, you know, heterosexuality it has just kind of, uh, not necessarily by virtue of, of what it is, but it, it's become like uh, one of the categories that simplifies life down, right? And so as soon as you start to take that away, people who want to think of life as very simple, uh, 
they they all of a sudden they're not like well if that's different than what you know then what else what else might be different maybe i'm wrong about everything and they're just they're, their initial reaction is anger and frustration i think there's nothing gayer than straight guys all of their heroes are men all of the people they listen to sing are men all of their movie stars are men yeah. all of their friends are men like it's like so there's so much men around them all the time it's yeah. like you know that um yeah it feels gay for them to like beyonce or something it's like <laughs> what? You know, it, it just yeah. doesn't make sense <laughs> it feels you know? gay for them to be to watch the sexiest woman in the world yeah something that really <laughs> confused me is like uh, you know these group of like uh seemingly homophobic guys in high school i remember um who were like disgusted by the idea of you know um two men kissing and something like broke back mountain or whatever but then like can go and brag and talk about how hot lesbian porn is i'm like you do realize you're watching gay sex <laughs> like you know you, you know i mean it, it, it may be it, 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 it which one's more sinful you know if you're trying to count sin like you know two men in a committed relationship in love with each other trying to start a family or somebody who's masturbating to two women who probably aren't even gay that are having sex for money yeah they don't even know each other I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, and I'm not even saying that that is a sinful thing either, you know, but I'm saying right. like to, to on their scale, on their measurements, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, I'll play by your rules yeah. in an argument or a conversation, but your rules are illogical. Yeah, totally. And you're right. The, the only person who ever blocked me on Twitter is a guy named Owen Strand. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's like, I don't know what he's part of the super masculine uh, Christian, super conservative culture. And he posted a picture of Tom Hardy in uh in a bomber jacket and he said something about you know manly bomber jacket or something and i just i just replied i was like i'm also attracted to tom hardy instant block <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh come on man he just like, needs a good blowjob yeah. yeah it's like you're 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 you're, you're posting a picture of a gorgeous man instead of i guess he can't but that's the other funny thing about that culture he could never post a picture of a gorgeous woman who was you know on the internet but he can he can post this right. man who he's clearly on some level he's he's attracted to even if it's not sexual you know like well, to finish to sad. finish my arc of my of, of the, my spirituality journey just to jump ahead a little bit to like yash jesus i started realizing you know um you know uh I, my friend azariah southworth who's my co-host on the show like great. we were talking we were talking about god and we'd like smoke weed and like we'd like just like wax poetic i guess on like you know bibles and, stuff. We were, uh, and we were on bible stories and we were like we need to like have other people hear some of these conversations that were happening but in my research i started to realize that there are queer perspectives in the bible there are queer stories they existed obviously there's there's gay energy in there and for it to like be in there and not be discussed i think does a disservice to the bible you know some of the stories um joseph in the dream code you know the, his technical dream code like that story um you know the coat wasn't actually a coat and according to the, the an early translation of the Bible, 46 AD, I believe, or 48 AD, um, it was a Ketanit Pasim, which is only mentioned one other time in the Bible at Tamar's wedding. And it is a princess dress that a virgin princess is given by her father on her wedding day. So Joseph wore a rainbow dress that, that was meant for a princess that Jacob probably picked up. Uh, in his travels so that's why he got beat up by his brothers you know his brothers were working in the fields and he shows up in a rainbow dress with long hair and yeah. he got his he got his butt whipped because maybe he was genderqueer or perhaps dare i say it a trans person of color with the most marginalized person in um the world right now are trans people of color and um and here's an opportunity 
that where the Bible shows a story about one and it's not even brought up, it's not even mentioned. I think that does a disservice to the word because I really feel like um, the Bible is for everyone and it is a reflective text. So I might look at that Joseph story and, and read a genderqueer story, but maybe, you know, my father might read something different, but it's meant to be that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people who read it and absorb it and finger point and don't let other people touch it or question it yeah. are the part of the problem. And I think it's a huge deal with the Catholic church is they don't let you read it. They don't want you to interpret it. They're like, <laughs> this is what they meant, you know, but yeah. a lot of times that stuff is decided by the Vatican and it's decided, which is almost like the Roman empire itself or like a mafia yeah. that's sort of, that sort of controls how people feel or think yeah. about the text. And I do not think that that's all how Jesus taught. Yeah. It, it, well, God, it, it says that God doesn't speak to us through the Bible personally. Right like the Bible, that what they're saying is that the Bible, like your, your experience of the Bible is totally irrelevant. It's, it's a rule book, but it's hidden, but you know, it's kind of obscured. So you have, you need us to tell you what the rules are based on this book, which I've, I find that, yeah, I, I find that very unsatisfying as well. We had, we had a guest on our show who said the biggest disservice that the man has done to the Bible is put a back cover on it. Like just because, you know, people were done writing doesn't mean God was done talking. Like the world changes and the world evolves. And, you know, back then men um, had to own land and the, we, we had to populate the planet and we're in, we have a different set of problems and a different set of things mm -hmm. uh, and, and equality and um, a bunch and, and just uh, mental evolution that has happened since then that it's a little uh, queer for lack of a better term uh, to not address it. Yeah, even in the Bible, there's a there's a major evolution between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus, I think, like, if you're looking at it, Jesus says, like, okay, I'm going to go now and I'm going to leave my spirit, you know, with you to, you know, to test these things, approve these things. Like, my spirit is going to be the thing that, you know, that makes a difference. Like, you were, you were talking about God, you grew up being with God as your judge, and, and, and that's what your name means. But, like... The interesting thing is how that can kind of flip to where now you can say, yeah, God is the only one who right. is qualified. At the beginning, they tell you God's a judge, so don't fuck up or, or you're in trouble. And then, and then now you can kind of say, no, God is the judge. And so I will, you know, I will answer to just him. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that comes to mind as you're talking about all this is like something that's been sort of hitting me recently as I'm trying to. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a deconstructed Christian or, or something. <laughs> I hate the, I hate the term in a way, but, uh, but reading the story of Jesus, it seemed to me that no matter who it was, Jesus was, Jesus was totally present with, with every person that he met and, and so often um, did things like miracles and things like that, that were outside of his original plan. Like when he got up, that morning he wasn't going to heal uh, a girl, a dead girl, you know, but he met a person and he saw their pain and he, he looked in their eyes. He saw their pain. He wept for people and, and he helped, you know, in the way that he could. And to me that that's like, it's so not moralistic. It's so not rule rule book thumping. This seems like that, all, you know, everything Jesus said, his whole story seemed to be like flying in the face of the rules or something like that. It was, it was more like pe people 
caring for people, loving people. And, uh, and I think that's, that's really, that comes through very clearly in yes, Jesus, that that is what your, what your desire is. So, yeah. I think we also just want to have fun with it too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's um, it, ultimately it is a comedy podcast too, because it's just like, we want to be silly. We want to be able to say all that, the, you know, all the fun stuff too, because we want to be equipped, like who we are in our daily we want to be who we are in our daily lives just all the time. It's yeah. not like, you know, I, I hate the the pretense of going to church and wearing a suit and being cleansed and clean and then going and doing, being, you know, running around and like beating my kids and yelling all this shit and getting drunk every night or whatever during the week. It's yeah. like, if I'm going to do all those things, do them in front of God. He's watching anyway. It's like, so I'm just, so that's why we're like, oh, we'll smoke weed and curse and make jokes and uh, flirt with our guests and do all of the things that we do in our regular life um, during this. And that's where the comedy lies in it because it's just sort of irreverent, I guess. But like, I think that's the part um, that we're trying to uh, really focus on because we're not really here for like those, uh, I forget what you call them, this the dour, like, you know, like we're not here for like the, uh, puritanical people we're not here for the perfect people they they have a whole support system of other zealots that they can talk to like we're here for the ones who were told that they that they weren't good enough for god because that is like that those are the people who need god the most we need god in our lives something that's so strange for queer people is that like you get told you can't have god once you come out of the closet like once you once you become gay and you once you decide that you're going to live a fully authentic life they're told that god can't be a part of that right. and so many gay people say okay well i'll move god out of my life then right and it doesn't make any sense to me because yeah. if you ask them what their pride uh, uh, with their prized possession is if they're like oh my louis vuitton clutch, clutch all or oh my 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 little dog rocky or whatever it is you know if i tried to take rocky or that bag from them they would like scream and call the police and stop but you just let someone just tell you that you can't have god and they just take your god away yeah like it, it's it's just the biggest lie like it's the yeah. biggest lie that um they're not welcome in the house of god Oh, totally. And the lie is you, you can't, even though God says approach the throne of grace with confidence that, that, you know, God, God says in the Bible that you're supposed to bring who you are, you know, bring yourself as you are right now. Uh, and, and then it's humans that say, you know, don't, don't bring that shit here. Get, you know, you know what I mean? Like even, even people who aren't gay, don't, don't feel they have anything to hide. Go, you're like, you're saying they go into church and they hide things and, and they're not dressed up out of reverence. Cause that would be beautiful. You know, if somebody said, Oh my goodness, I'm going to be in the presence of the most high. I need to put on a suit. Um, because, um, you know, I feel this great sense of respect, but not like, Oh, you don't wear, if you don't wear your best stuff, like you're going to get, you're going to get condemned. Yeah, they, they treat it like a fashion show. You know, God doesn't care if you're there in your pajamas and your Crocs. He doesn't. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I think that um, I do like praise and worship. I do like being around a community. I do like uh, uh, lessons from a, a learned person who's studying and specifically vibing on their congregation in mind. You know, there's always a message that hits me when I go to a church. Uh, but there's so many unaffirming churches out there that are like that, that pretend that they are. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of this new Christianity where mm -hmm. the church sounds like a gym, like it's energized church or flash church or, 
you know, pump church or something like, and they sound, you know, and they sound like a club or a gym and, you know, they'll let you walk in with your partner holding hands and they'll let you, they'll let you sit in the front row and um, they'll let you uh, contribute to the big sale and they'll take your pink money um, every Sunday in the collection plate, but they won't let queer people, LGBTQ people uh, rise to roles of leadership or, um, or, or attend their schools or uh, their camps or their, classes or whatever because the policy of their greater organization a lot of pastors checks are getting cut by the denominational um hierarchies and yeah. so you know I, I had one church that's such a great church i think here in south florida and i went to it and um i asked i said are you i asked online when they had an online service i was like are you gay affirming and they're like everyone's welcome here i said yeah but are you gay affirming it's, <laughs> yeah. and they were like well i don't know about policy but the pastor loves everyone and i was like that's not enough right it's not enough and honestly like it's gonna it, it, it's harder for uh gay people to make a change we just did uh, i think last week's episode is how to make your church more welcoming because we're trying to get people yeah, to realize like how important that is and you know, um, and how important it is for straight allies as yourself to give people voices in their community to realize that they could make a change. Because at the end of the day, uh, a pastor is going to listen to what the congregation is asking for. So if they're just silent on the issue and they're not trying to make a change, then it's not going to happen, you know. Yeah. Um, but if, if they say, hey, you know, because, you know, one of the arguments we had early on in season one of Yes, Jesus was if we had a fictional conversation with the fictional pregnant mother and it was like, you know, um, are you gay affirming? Yes. Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you going to raise your child in the church? Yes. What happens if your child is 13 and says I'm or, or 16 or whatever and says to you, I'm gay? Well, I'm going to love my child no matter what. Great. Well, what if your church isn't accepting? Well, then I'll go find a new church. Well, why don't you find that out now? before you raise your child right. yeah. for 16 years in a non-affirming space that could have all these microaggressions and lots of church hurt and lots of things that are ingrained in, in their brains that you don't realize. And, and I think it's just because they're not thinking like that. And it's up to us as queer Christians to sort of let our straight allies know that that is something that we need from them right now in this day and age, like in this time, it is a holy war. Yeah. And, um, we, and, and, you know, the, the hypocritical patriarchy is literally controlling so many things the catholic church right now has a has a pretty affirming pope who um just this week uh said that if parents again reiterated that if parents have uh gay kids they shouldn't kick them out of the house you know um he's also said that gay people should not be made miserable of it god loves you the way they are but then has to come up with a statement that says the vatican will never bless same-sex unions because sin is sin and they'll never have sin in the house of god so it's like you know, as soon as we move one step forward, we got to go three steps back because it's like because of how the groups that are controlling the pastors and the Pope and the people who are all speaking, it's those groups, it's those committees. And a lot of that is run on the political movement of money because they're tax exempt organizations. Uh, the number one real estate holder in the world is the Catholic Church. Um, with millions and billions and trillions of dollars worth of like historical lands and yeah, churches right downtown and in, in big cities and exactly yeah. huge blocks um, that and and historic and you know uh, historical buildings and art and stuff and the value I mean it's 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 not even quantifiable what 
assets they own yeah you know and then then they're also opening the door for a lot of uh, cult organizations like Scientology to be able to do the same thing by following yeah. their evil models I was thinking and of Scientology yeah because they got yeah. their tax-exempt status too and they, they're huge landowners sure and the yeah. Mormon church and other places that you know sort of do things where they um exclude groups of people make decisions that are biblically based you know and use real estate and power to push the mormon church in utah put millions and millions of dollars into the vote on marriage on banning marriage equality the prop 8 vote in california from utah because they were pushing their money across uh state borders in order to be able to uh block um yeah. protections against lgbtq people this is power this is like yeah. the power dynamics of money and a lot of it is uh you know they say money is the root of all evil like to me like a lot of that is really coming from a different place yeah. and i don't think that really um young people have that kind of a scope of perspective right. on how churches work so right. they're just taking it as the word of god and I think that I'm, that is really like the worst thing that anyone could be doing. I, I, I actually pray in fear for um, the souls of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's so true. We're at a, we're at a point now where um, it's less and less cool to, to openly say that you're, that you're not affirming, but the, but the money is still with the, in, in every, in every church that's not affirming probably the bulk of the money is in the pockets of people who are not affirming. And, and uh, I don't even know if like, I think that, that, that the evangelical church has created enough um, of a smokescreen in the minds of their own pastors that they aren't thinking of it. They don't think they're being calculating to that degree. Like uh, I, we left the church for um, partially for this reason. And I, when I think about the pastor there, I'm sure he doesn't think, like he drives a, a modest car, right? He's he's not a he's not a flashy guy. I don't think he's tying it to money, but I think he needs to realize that that's really that's really what it is. It, it's like it's democracy and capitalism infiltrating the church, like as much as it is anywhere. I mean, Joel Olstein's church, you know, has been under fire for you know, the past several years. I mean, during. Um uh hurricane irma i believe there, there was like a, a, a point where uh people wanted to seek shelter inside his newly renovated billion dollar church and or whatever and yeah he wouldn't open the doors you know and then in one sunday they found millions of dollars missing um that was probably some kind of inside job uh they found millions of dollars missing and their insurance covered it all it was like four million dollars from one sunday's collection one sunday and then recently um, months ago, only sheer months ago, a plumber found, uh, you know, thousands of dollars behind a toilet of checks yeah. and money that was just shoved in the wall behind the toilet. Right. You know, of checks even like, which is so I crazy. Heard, I heard that on your podcast. Like, yeah. Oh but this is the kind of thing like this is really and, you know, Joel Olstein, you know, also signed um, the Nashville agreement saying that all of these major churches are not gay affirming. And, you know, there's these people are still strong voices in controlling many civilians uh feelings about homosexuality yeah yeah it it's true and like i think what what has happened with this real um kind of moralistic trying to view the bible as a rule book thing is that um 
people have become totally untethered from the actual idea, from the tone of sin, from the feeling of sin, from the the like what's behind the rules about sin, right? Because you see abuse can be totally rampant in these churches. And, and like, if, if anything is a sin, it's a, abusing power against another person, right? And, 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 you know, as a gay or straight person in, a, in any kind of sexual relationship, there's a power dynamic. And, and the, sin, the sin is in manipulating and abusing and, and unkindness and, and gaslighting and, uh, you know. Again, I'm not one to judge people, but those are the exact things that Jesus spoke about that were wrong. Like that, 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 we're talking about following the teachings of Jesus Christ. Like that's what we're speaking of mm-hmm. and, and speaking upon. And those are the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not teach about queer people. Yeah. If anything, he taught love and acceptance of all. And so to me, it's just insane. I mean, I drive by, um, there's an abortion clinic like near where, I, where I'm staying down here. And I, and there's always like at least one woman outside with like a sign, you know, and I'm just like, you know, to me, it's, I don't know why people don't look inside and just worry about themselves. You, yeah. you never know what people's yeah. situations are, you know, yeah. and I'm somebody who's like personally pro-life, but politically pro-choice. Like, right. I think that everyone should be like, I wouldn't want to do that. And I would hope that like my sister or, you know, friends would make different decisions, but yeah. I'm, I, I would never make it law to govern over someone else's body. Right. And I, and I think that, um, I think that we're just in a position right now where, you know, especially for queer people, uh, we're making a change. We're discovering so much. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement was really informative for a lot of people. Um, It still continues to be. uh, But I was learning so many things like, you know, in school here in America, they teach us that like, you know, George Washington had wooden teeth. How funny is that? Ha ha ha. But when in actuality, he had wooden gums and teeth from his slaves, you know, and like, what? Like, I actually remember, like, coloring, like, or cutting out or doing something with wooden teeth when I was, like, in elementary school. Like, yeah. why perpetuate these lies to us? And if we're learning everything this way, you know, how, what is the truth? Right. You know, and, and you know, now there's this huge battle going on right now um, with uh, the far-right Christian uh, movement and with critical race theory. And I think the same thing comes with LGBTQ. I mean, here in Florida, they just passed the say no, say, say no gay or something like that. I forget what they call it rule where like, you're not allowed to speak on gender politics or LGBTQ issues in a school based on a Florida bill. Um, they're really doing their best to, to halt educators from doing what they need to do, which is to help a child grow up with the knowledge to be themselves in a, like unabashedly and you know and successfully and be able to survive in the world so many people don't seek further education and the knowledge that they're getting socially politically and um uh uh mentally are all coming from high school so it's like when you're ingraining some of these thoughts that are being governed by a body of conservatives that's all politically motivated and politics is money it's all motivated people are signing bills and doing things and supporting things they don't even believe in so people will give them money for their campaign yeah and so it's it's just a horrible place that we just need as many voices as possible and it needs to be a very strong sense of community like one of the big feedbacks that we get from yash jesus is just 
wow, I'm in Tokyo or I'm in um, Chile or I'm in Estonia and I'm picking up your podcast and I don't feel alone anymore. And it's not even just mine and Azzy's voices. It's the people that are calling in and leaving messages. We have a, a, on our website, yashjesuspod.com. You could leave a message at the bottom for a praise report or prayer request or even just say hi or whatever. And just playing some of those voices on the air really is comforting to so many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, what, what, what comes to mind when you're saying all that is like the church and the United States are both things that have this beautiful potential that's not being reached because they won't look at themselves, right? And, and you've looked at yourself, you've, you've really reckoned with yourself and thought about yourself. And maybe some of that wasn't even from, you know, was more than you should have had to do, you know, maybe, but, but at the same time, this is what we need to do is look back at our history, right? Look, look at those wooden teeth and don't be offended, you know, say that, okay, like if we, if there's something with this country, or if there's something with this church, then it's not going to, it's not going to evaporate if we try to look honestly at it. Right? It's a difficult challenge for um, the LGBTQ people because we literally lost a whole generation of people to AIDS. We lost our scholars, we lost our writers and our teachers. Um, I'm, you know, 43 right now, but when I was younger and coming out like around 21, 22, the time I was putting myself into conversion therapy, the generation before me was either gone or traumatized still. You yeah. know, it was only it was only 10 or 15 years ago Fascinating. when all of that had happened, you know, yeah. and I remember seeing blank stares in uh, queer people's eyes that were older, you know, at the bars and stuff like that. And fe- I felt like they were dealing with the trauma of going to six funerals a week or whatever they were having to deal with at that time when I hear the horror stories that I hear. And of, no support outside their community for any of it. Absolutely not. And in the beginning, in my 20s, I went to several funerals, you know. Um, and so to me, it's like, I think the new generation that's that, that's coming about, the the euphoria generation that's just coming out and like whatever, you know, uh, boys are wearing miniskirts to school. It's all great. It's all cute. But you have to realize uh, the power that is behind that. And, um, and, and not to lose sight of the important things in life, like education and spirituality and human connection to people that you don't want to have sex with. <laughs> I think that there's a there's a huge, I, I love the sexual liberation front. I mean, PrEP has given uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, the drug that you take once a day, that I take once a day, that most gay people now take, um, that prevents you from getting um, HIV transmission. Oh, I didn't know um, So yeah, you could take a pill every day and you can't get HIV. And now Moderna is working on like a six to eight month uh, injection, injectable, um, uh, vaccine yeah. based on their technology uh, to be able to t- change that pill from every day to um, to being once or twice a year, you know. And so that's given such a new sexual liberation front. I, I played a character, an HIV positive character on the HBO show Looking. Okay. Um, and and uh, when I was playing that character on that television show, I was the only character on TV with an HIV storyline for six years. And so since we found out about HIV, like um, literally in the 80s when they found out about it, um, every year the infections went down. It started out as this mass pandemic that slowly got lower and lower and lower until they stopped showing it on television around 9-11, actually. And that's when it started going up, 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 up again. There was a rise in new infections every year because the schools won't teach it. There's no comprehensive sex ed education. They're not talking about it in the church. The parents aren't bringing it up in the home. And, you know, there's some students in the South that don't even know what HIV is. 
And I think that that is, we failed. We failed as a, yeah. as a country yeah. um, because, because most of the drugs that are made to aid and prevent and, and, and all of the stuff for HIV are made here in the US. And we are still like on a scale under some like, you know, third world countries on yeah. the rises in new infections. Oh, wow. Um, and higher, uh, the highest risk is black women because a lot of the men that they sleep with are the MSM men who are, you know, because oh. because black and Latino culture don't um, be in the law due to uh, religious oppression, um, don't want to identify um, uh, often as uh, homosexual. Oh. So oh. they'll say, oh, they'll, they'll say, they'll, they call it the down low. They'll be like, oh, I sleep. And this is a real statistic. I, this isn't uh, me you know, generalizing or marginalizing a group of people. This is a real statistic. 50% of gay black men um, at the rate that they're going right now are going to have HIV in my lifetime. Wow. Say that number again, 60? One in two, 50%. Wow. 50. And one in three Latinos. Wow. So so this is a big problem. Yeah. And the most, the most risk is, uh, again, um, uh, black women. You know, and black trans women, those are some of the most high at risk, but black cisgendered no women are like the most endangered of HIV. Didn't JVN come out recently as uh, being HIV positive? Um, I don't, I don't know. I can't I speak look on at, that, I, You know what? I shouldn't say that kind of shit without knowing if it's, uh, but I, I that, that's my recollection. Anyway, he, he made a statement about, uh, I would love to have him on the show, um, but uh, he made a statement about it. And um, I'm pretty sure that's true fact check me anybody watching this um, but i'm gonna check it out after and maybe edit this out if it's not true um <laughs> but yeah like when he said that uh i was like i was ignorant like you're saying like i was totally ignorant that you know it's that the numbers are in, in any way rising and, and that it's still a problem like it's been kind of swept under the rug it seems which is too bad yeah and i also believe jvn is a they are they them oh i'm sorry i did not know that i uh okay it's okay but see this is how we learn there's nothing wrong yeah. there's no shame in this conversation like this yeah. is the kind of things that people are afraid to speak upon and uh and learn about you know uh, my mother is asking me the best way to ask about gender pronouns and i'm like is to ask it's you to know ask. like yeah. i mean some I, I never get offended you know and i don't think anyone would be offended if you're like so and i've actually watched like people handle it because it was a little difficult for me to handle with a friend of mine who transitioned because I, it was just habit you know like right not that i didn't yeah. acknowledge their existence but it was just habit to say she and then now and then they and then now he and so for me it was like a difficult thing but i watched someone walk in the room and say hey everybody uh you know we were going to watch something on tv and my friend was like hey everybody just before we get started what's everyone's pronouns you know and it was just like out of the way yeah and then we moved on and we know for, we forgot that that moment happened or maybe uh, my friend felt relieved that that had happened, but um, it's just a way to get it out of the way. Yeah, no, that's good. And thanks for thanks for correcting me on that. I, I wasn't aware, but um, I, I am. Yeah, one of the things I think people people forget about about things like pronouns is that um, pronoun culture and, and asking pronouns and stating your pronouns is just one more little little reminder that each person regardless of if they're if they correspond with how they physically look to you each person really is a mysterious and exciting landscape for you to learn you know and i like the idea that um of everybody approaching everybody as like okay like show me who you are reveal yourself 
to me. I'm not going to bring my assumptions about you. And it's, it's very difficult to do. And people, re people react against it because they don't like the idea of the whole world being a bunch of mysteries walking around because that sounds terrifying. But it's like, that's actually exciting, you know, and the more the more you know somebody, the more you need to be committed to thinking of them as a mystery. Like, let's find things you don't even know about yourself. And and like, we started our relationship with me, you know, open to whatever you really are. So let's keep delving into it. I don't know. That's my little rant. Sorry, I'm a bit of a ranter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good thing to be uh, ranting about. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing to be thinking about. And it's one of the reasons that I've, I've intentionally had people who represent um, d different um, different genders and and um, gender expressions on the show because I think it's it's really it's really important um, and so I want to get back though if we can just to your story after conversion therapy maybe just fill in the gap uh, between then and now um well you know I lived a uh, I read a book called open secret and I think that I just took that and ran with it like I was like I will be open to people who I choose. I'll be open to my inner circle. I'll be open to my family, but then to everybody else, they don't need to know. So if a fan was like, are you gay? I'd be like, no, you know, mm. I just felt like what's that, you know, and the reaction used to be like, you know, um, if I'd say no, they'd be like, oh my God, you're such a good actor. But if I said, yeah, they'd be like, I knew it. No one <laughs> else could have did that but a gay person or whatever. And, you know, like, I guess giving away my ability for time or nuance or, you know, anything like, so it was just sort of just like, well, I guess I'm more talented if I pretend that I sleep with women, do you know? Yeah, um, it just was, it, it was. And, you know, um, I always, I'm six four, I'm a big dude. I like have always played like a bully or a, or a, you know, a wimp. You know, it's just like, those are the kind of roles that like somebody who's abnormally sized for a young age would, go up for there aren't you know tons of like leading men giants out there you know so it was kind of like I was either the tough guy or the wimp and a lot of times not the wimp because I'm not short you know it's another trope that they wanted from me that I didn't possess yeah so um I think that I was told I was going to lose a lot of opportunity out on a lot of roles that people knew that I was gay. What's the point? I wasn't famous enough early on in my career for people to be asking questions or following me around or, or, or anything. And, you know, um, so I had a good few years where I worked in gay clubs as a bouncer and a bar back and a doorman and a coat check and really like worked in nightlife and a promoter and was able to just see what that was all about. And, really kind of like fall into like my most promiscuous phase, you know, drug experiment, do all these other kind of things. And then when I got Mean Girls, I was like, I'm going to LA, I'm going to start a different life. Like, you know, at that point, I had already, you know, dealt with, you know, my drug experimentation, I'd already like, come to terms with the fact that I was 100% gay, most likely, I was still having these like, um, uh, bi romantic feelings sometimes for women, which was very confusing for me. But um, actually, I've been thinking a lot lately about in the near future doing something like writing an op-ed like to all the women I loved before and like writing some kind of op-ed because I really feel like when I when it led to the point that I did finally come out publicly that some of the women were like, what? Like, you know, because yeah. I had, you know, I wasn't lying to them or I wasn't using them and I don't want them to ever feel that way. And I still think that I have 
some splaining to do, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Right. Something to get and, out. Yeah. And so um, I, uh, but anyway, um, at some point it all led up to this point where I had done everything I could do to sort of hide my sexuality. Um, I even doing, I spit on your grave where I played like this rapist and I was trying to do things that were like the completely opposite of, of the role that I had played in Mean Girls um the complete opposite of that just to sort of like bookend my career and show my abilities and I had done it and I hadn't really done much for me and I was turning down some really good gay roles because at this point as 10 years had gone by like we started to write some really uh well the world started to write some really terrific gay parts and so I was like man I, I feel prouder playing a role like that or a role like that or a role like that and I had already you know but when I started out my career it wasn't like I said I don't want to play gay roles it was like I said I don't want to play gay for gay sake and I don't want to play fat for fat sake like if my character's like I'm fat and he's just sitting there and then the, the laugh is that he's eating a sandwich out of from his pocket I'm not interested right. you know right. and I remember turning down things that were like that you know and I did the same thing for gay roles if I felt like I was in fishnet stockings and doing something that came across as oddly transphobic or something I would say no you know and so um a lot of times I remember I even have an agent say to me who do you think you are <laughs> say no you can't even like freaking pay your rent right now you know <laughs> but I was thinking long term I was on the long term yeah. goal I still am you know yeah. which is why I do stand up I, I know that this hasn't been a very funny uh <laughs> like conversation for on my end but I think like because we're talking about something that's very near and dear to me but like you know I spend my life being funny like I go out and I, I'm doing stand-up all the time and like that makes me a, a that affords me a good enough career that I don't have to do a movie yet until I find the movie that I really want to do again, you know, or I find the TV show that I really want to do again. Cause I I've learned as an adult to take charge of my career, but th that comes with the privilege of having the money to be able to do so. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people's issues and a lot of people's depressions are all like a uh, derivative from fiscal responsibilities and and the oppression of having to work for a living wage and i think it's really bad for an actor there's nothing lower in if you think of the lowest profession you could think of there's nothing lower in hollywood than an out-of-work actor nobody cares about you right. like it's literally like you can't be anything lower so it was like you know trying to figure out a way you know and they say that uh actors are only really happy between the moments of action and cut you know and those were such fleeting moments i couldn't right make my life live for that anymore you had no control yeah. over whether or not you got a ton of that work either. sure or if the work you got was going to be good because right. you're just hoping to be able to pay the rent like it's a very it was a very different thing you know and hollywood is really messed up i mean so many things uh, contributed to that too like uh in 2008 like the crash and then also you know writer strikes and um uh, uh, streaming which they never renegotiated residuals for like in the 80s if you're on one tv show you could buy a house and right. then like we don't get residuals from streaming <laughs> then uh, because the last time residuals were renegotiated was before streaming was invented yeah, you know and so the, so they all the money keeps going to the people on the top you know yeah and and so the, a lot of that fueled my depression because i relied i was like I need to buy my mom a house. I need to survive. I need to start a family. And I'm not going to do these things if I'm gay. I'm not going to be awarded these things if I'm gay. I don't have health insurance because I'm gay. Because yeah. I don't, because I can't. So I have to pretend I'm straight. Yeah. You know, and then I just got to this point where 
I didn't even care anymore if I wanted to do that or not. And at the 10th anniversary of Mean Girls, I got a letter from someone that said, um, I don't know if you're gay or not, but it doesn't really matter um, because yeah, I'm a big fan because when you were uh, in, when I was in eighth grade, I got beat up for being chubby and tortured for being a sissy. And then your movie came out. And then in ninth grade, on my first day of my freshman year, the popular senior girl said, you're like Damien, come sit with us. And you gave me a lot, you made me popular and protected for four years. And I know that it was you. And I, and I, and at first I started being embarrassed that they were calling me that, but now I wear it as a badge of pride that I'm a Damien. And, mm. and like, I'm just, I'm so privileged to have someone in media that I could look up to and say, that's me and be proud. So thank you. And man, that was wow. so emotional for me. Yeah. Wow. So I'm powerful. feeling a little emotional just thinking about it. That's, that is so because beautiful. I didn't have it. I didn't have it. I didn't have someone that I could say that's me. Like if I saw a fat person on screen, they were a joke. If I saw a queer person on TV, they were, their head was dunked in a toilet. Yeah. And I, I remember the toxic Avenger being called the faggot and being like beat up till he was almost dead and then became the toxic and dumped into toxic waste, which is how he became the toxic Avenger. Like, really? I mean, I yeah, there's so, I didn't forget it. Yeah. You know, I, I even went back and watched um, uh, uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, Bill and Ted because the new Bill and Ted adventure came out. And then in the first Bill and Ted, they kiss and then they break apart and go fag. Like, and I was like, this is the stuff that I was hearing. If you go back and, and, and watch Eddie Murphy's Delirious, which I watched, I don't even know how many times you don't got no ice cream. Like I watched that over and over and over again and forgot how much he talked about how he doesn't, he doesn't want his girlfriend to have any gay best friends because he doesn't want any AIDS. Like, and you just, you, you just, you forget that this is the stuff that was like ingrained in our brains over and over again. Yeah. And it doesn't just come from the church, but it, come, it came from society, yeah. you know, and so many different things were affected by it. Um, even the look of men are movie stars, you know, Robert Mitchum didn't have to have a Chris Pratt body, you know, right. like, it, it, like, but it became that way because gay people wanted to appear healthy so they didn't appear like they had HIV. And so they took steroids, which made the bodybuilding community have to step it up even further to not look gay. And then it became like this whole thing where everyone uh. became so obsessed with their body image that they had to create a term metrosexual just so it was okay right. for guys okay. to trim and wear cologne right. like, and, then, and, and work out. And then it became so obsessive, which I remember in the early noughties, especially like the, the nauseating thing of being at a gay pool party where everyone's like, I feel fat. What's your workout regimen? How much boiled chicken do you eat? Like constantly yeah. being obsessed with their size and everything else to now dad bods are in because some people are thinking maybe mental health actually is a, is a, a bigger exhibitor of health than somebody who's constantly freaking obsessed right. with, with in eating disorders and yeah. steroids and everything else to stay in shape. Yeah. So all of this is derivative from, from gay, from gay stigma and yeah. HIV stigma. There's huh. so many things it's all that were wrapped around the, it's all interlinked. And a lot of it comes from church. A lot of it comes from the church. Yeah. You know, like right before, like 1981, Paramount put out a movie called Partners, which was about a cop who has to go undercover with a gay guy who works in the clerical part of the police office, a police mm -hmm. station. And these two cops, one gay and one not, have to live together and pretend to be a gay couple in the gay neighborhood to find like a murderer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was like a major cop gay buddy comedy. Maybe it was a little bit homophobic in its telling, but for 1981, super progressive. Mm -hmm. And then what happens right around 1983, 1984, we get the AIDS crisis and yeah. you never see that again. It never happens. Gay yeah. people get washed off of television. Well, and it even... wasn't until the nineties when, when people were able to have, um, 
better uh, chance of living with the cocktails of medicines and stuff that they were creating, like AZT and other things, it were, were we able to see gay people have real lives on television again? And a lot of it came from reality TV, like Pedro Zamora and other people who broke ground. And not just for HIV people, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm negative. But, it, it, but as a young gay person, seeing a gay person on television, that was so impactful for me. And it, Pedro Zamora on The Real World was probably the first time I really identified with any gay person. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, to, I don't think you can really look at uh, at, at America, and I, I live in Canada. It's the same thing up here, without kind of recognizing the effect of uh, this community and the effect of the way the community has been treated, because it's clear that it's not a small number of people, right? It's not where we are not as much as people want to say, it's like this tiny, tiny minority. We, we, we want it like, it's, it's just obvious. And, and we're, we're really all missing out, I think, because like I say, like, you know, there's something so enjoyable about listening to Yes Jesus, because it's a whole energy that has been barred from the church. And it's not even like, it's not even like the energy that you have on the show has to be exhibited by gay people. It's just, it's boisterous. It's it's irreverent. There's lots of things that that we can't do in the church because they're a little gay. Like right. Which well, is, you know, our freaking deacon Ross Murray, who's the producer, one of the producers of our show, right. said to us, he was like, "Why do you think the Catholic Church is so gay? Why do you think there's velvet curtains and um, you know, and stained glass windows and gilded thrones and and gowns and <laughs> incense purses?" I'm like, Fancy you hat. know, it's so true. He's like, because you know, a lot of like, like the whole Italian trope was you have five sons and one of them is gay and a pre- one of them is a priest. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, this one's the doctor, this one's the lawyer, this one's the carpenter, this one's the plumber, and that one's the priest. Yeah. And I think a lot of the lesbians and gays hid in the church in these celibate roles. Yeah. You know, um, that was that was their solace. You know, so and with a, a genuine like, faith too. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. But no. With you, a no. genuine faith and a yearning, because I I feel like there's there's got to be a yearning, because you feel like you know, life is incomplete, you know, for you. And so they put their yearning and longing into God and into community, but it's also, it's also like cancerous to, to keep these, the secret inside and have no intimacy. St. Francis of Sissy also said, like, he told the monks to mother each other, you know, um, because there was such a, uh, a thing about toxic masculinity and within the church, like the, the that what he meant was be sensitive. Like vulnerability is dope. Like you know, it's like just trying to f- get in touch with your feminine side, or just trying to be like a fully realized human being with sensitivity right. and and, yeah. and 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 empathy. Like and so I think that a lot of that got convoluted into I don't know what you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm down here in Florida right now, um, uh, taking care of my mom, and I'm just driving around looking at a bunch of like truck mud and. Like, you know, like I ride for Jesus kind of people who just are not getting it right. You know, um, some of those lives are so ingrained in, yeah. you know, the dull gender reveal party of it all. Like the whole kind of like, like yeah. energy is just off from what it means to be a living, breathing, multidimensional human. Yeah. And if you ever get into those masculine cultures, which church can unfortunately be in some strange way, uh, you'll always notice one or two people who you're like, you're, you know, this is an act for you and everybody's, you know, well, I'm not saying they're gay necessarily, but they could be like one of my big turning points was, uh, you know, in the nineties, every, 
young Christian men had their gay guy imitation. Like they had their way that they do the gay voice. And I had one too. And we like, it was totally acceptable in a group of guys sitting around from church to do this gay, to do their gay voice. And I noticed that my one friend, and he's still, he's still one of my closest friends, a very slight guy, very sensitive, would, wouldn't laugh at these things. And, uh, and so I, I really awkwardly asked him one day if he was gay in the car driving, staring ahead and not, uh, actually, I think I said, do you struggle with homosexuality? <laughs> right. Uh, Cause I wouldn't, they wouldn't have said, are you gay? <laughs> I and struggle then, getting laid all the time. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but then he was like, he, he, he said no, and he's not, he's married with kids. I mean, uh, I, I, I trust him that he's not, but he said no, but he really appreciated that I asked and he, and, and I think it made our friendship come closer together, but it's like that kind of thing was so like taboo, yeah. taboo. And then, yeah. And yeah. And I had a gay roommate come out during that time when he was my roommate and he went to our church and, and, um, and it was like, uh, uh, you want to support them, but you can't say it. You can't say that stuff out loud, really. So you'd just be like, I'm here for you. Like, uh, and then like, but yeah. you're peeking out the curtains. Who's picking him up? You know, who's he driving off with and all this stupid stuff. And it's like, man, why? Uh, it, it would be so great if in the church we could just like do what Jesus did and just be present with people and not say like, hey, what are you doing wrong? But just like, hey, who are you? A big, a big thing of it is visibility, which is why I'm sure that there's going to be someone that doesn't want to hire me for some movie because I do Yash Jesus at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure that there's someone that thinks that what I'm doing is wrong. That's fine. I don't want to work with that person anyway, you know, but I feel like uh, when I grew up, like, and I love my friend, uh, Matt, <laughs> but when I grew up and I went to college, the one gay kid that was in my school had a, um, a pride flag canopy above his bed. And that was so intense for me. It, it was, it didn't identify who I was, you know? And so like, for me, it was like, well, that's gay. So what am I, you know? And so it was just like, there, there, there had to be one kind of gay. Yeah. Because gay was, is one thing. A lot of people don't have the luxury of code switching, you know, um, I'm an actor, so I could code switch. And also I think I naturally, um, you know, uh, lean somewhere in the middle, but like, I feel like, uh, for some people who do lean more on the feminization side of the spectrum, who can't hide who they are, who don't have the ability, who don't have the privilege of being able to hide who they are, who don't have the mass or the size that I have and the height that I have to maybe, and if I keep my mouth shut and walk on the street, I could feel a little more protective. I mean, I lived in, you know, uh, major metropolitan cities most of my life and I never once got mugged. And then I have a lot of twink friends who got mugged three times you know um so to me it's like i there are people we do have some privilege but i think the more visible you are like the more i do things or the more i put myself in the public eye or the more i do your podcast or you know anything else it's a win for somebody who could see themselves and say yeah okay now i'm okay with feeling comfortable i just needed to see someone like me and i wasn't you know so i had to be the person to be seen yeah and it's so weird how that happens like that how uncomfortable yeah. it was you know uh, for me to do that kind of stuff it took a lot of growing pains well i applaud i applaud it big time because i i have a lot of gay friends and stuff and you know you, you hear people saying like not everybody wants to be the the point of the spear like not everybody wants to be the person who sticks their head up 
and says something. Well, because and, the trailblazers uh, get the arrows and not the land, you know. <laughs> that's fair <laughs> enough. And, and there, there's almost like a you know Moses entering the promised land kind of thing. He did Moses didn't really get there, and the, you, like there's a sacrificial element to to paving the way for uh, for other people. And it's a big value on on this podcast because, like, for me personally, I mean, I don't do this podcast as a um, as a Christian thing or to get people to like overtly acknowledge God. But my my general idea is that if you can't know, if you can't look at yourself and look at another person, like in this way, where I'm saying, like, where it's a mis- there's mystery, there's unknown, there's more potential, there's things to know. If you can't look at yourself and the people near you that way, you won't know God either. Because, I mean, God is however mysterious you are and getting to know you and all that, all of your undiscovered beauty, God is more like that is that's what God is entirely to us. And uh, so, I think yeah. the last straw for us with the Ask Jesus podcast starting beginning it, I mean, was um, Azariah and I went to the RuPaul's Drag Race uh, finale and everybody was like dressed so fun and so creatively and expressing themselves and everyone was like screaming for the queens like and for rue especially and i was like this is church right now like so many of these kids went to church when they were growing up so many of these people as kids went to church and had to leave that behind in order to experience this but imagine if you could combine the two like imagine if we could all like whoop and holler and have a good time and like sashay for the lord like it felt like so like like the thought of that felt so freeing and fun Like, I would love to go to church every Sunday if church was like the the RuPaul's Drag Race finale. <laughs> That's amazing. And actually, what, what occurs to me is like, uh, I've been thinking about the transfiguration story because I don't really understand it. You know, the one with Jesus' face transfigured on the mountaintop, uh, glowing. Uh, and, and, it, and what occurs to me when you're saying that is that in a, in a way, you know, a, a, dra- a person in drag is not necessarily um, hiding who they are behind makeup, they are actually revealing a part of themselves that has been hidden and that there's been no way to show. And, and it's, it is, a, it is like, and what these people in the audience are seeing is it is a bunch of transfiguration in a way is a bunch of like, Oh, here's, here's a beautiful thing that's been inside me um, that hasn't been able to come out and that's that is church i mean i wouldn't even say it's like you know you didn't say like yeah you know rupaul says that drag doesn't hide who you are it reveals who you are so you're you're right on point with that like i think it's like um you know uh an opportunity for people to uh step outside of the vessel that they have curated and i think that that in itself is divine because you're giving you're you're looking at another level of potential of what god might have in store for you had you chosen different choose your own adventure pages <laughs> along the way yeah that's great um i mean i think that's we're, we're at an hour and 15 that's probably a good note to end on um yeah, well, we chose the good adventure, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and thank you so much. I mean, th- this this was obviously uh, uh, generous on your behalf to 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 be on this and and talk to me today. So I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing what I can to get uh, stories like yours out there because it it's inspiring. Well, please, you know, um, I encourage everyone listening to this to go to yashjesuspod.com 
and uh, leave us a prayer request, just something that if you want us to pray for for you, or leave us a praise report if you're very grateful for something and you want us to hallelujah for you, uh, it would be great to leave it there or just say hi, like say, hey, I'm an affirming straight person, or I am a queer person who uh, doesn't know God anymore. What should I do? Like, ask us questions. Like, we're here, you know, and I encourage you, please also uh, leave leave us a message on there, something we could play, you know, let, like, like, I think people just need to hear other voices and get some inspiration. So I'd love for you to return the favor and leave us a little message on the, on the website. I will. Yeah. And I, I love how at the beginning you say uh, sinners saints, and I don't know if I is or I ain't, which is so <laughs> yeah. good. It's like, it, it's like everybody come on in. So yeah. That, yeah. Really appreciate your work. That's it. Kings and Queens and in-betweens. Like it doesn't matter really. Like, I think we all like, God doesn't need perfect people. If you're perfect, you don't need God. So, you know, it's all of us imperfect. That's what we're there for. Amen. Yeah.